0: Kebabologist, entrepreneur, craft beer specialist, marathon runner, Jean-Marc is a British-Swiss citizen of the world who has a lot of hats and almost as much incredibly positive cow references. We met in Spain last year and I was lucky enough to catch him just during a break between his life in Madrid and a big adventure in Asia. In this episode, we scratch only a tiny surface of the incredible adventures and experiences that Jean-Marc has lived across the globe, from Mongolia, Turkey, to Japan. And something tells me it's not the last time we will hear about him on this podcast. I'll let you judge by yourself, enjoy this episode! Welcome, Jean-Marc. Welcome to my little podcast, which, would you believe it, after four interviews still has no name. I don't know what name I'm going to give it. We'll see that next month when I release it.
1: Hopefully a good travel discussion
2: will give you some inspirational names.
0: Hopefully. So, Jean-Marc, we know each other from Alicante, where you were visiting last year. When we met, you were living in Madrid. And what about now? Where are you? Is it home? And can you tell us a bit about yourself?
2: You currently find me at my mother's house in the West Midlands in the United Kingdom, very close to Birmingham. My father was from Switzerland, from the French part, and my mother is English, so I have dual citizenship.
0: So your adventure in Madrid has come to an end,
2: right? The Madrid adventure is over, I will say, for good, but I said that the first time I moved to Madrid, and then I went back again. Um, But yes, for the foreseeable future, Madrid is over. I left the city last week. Um, and I'm back in the UK now preparing and planning for my next steps, um, multiple steps that will involve traveling again, and then potentially the next stage of my life, which I believe I told you about when we met in Alicante, which is to open a craft beer bar somewhere in the south of Spain. So beer
0: and travels goes on in end for, for you and your travel?
2: I think when you love traveling, you will create any excuse or any reason to go somewhere. So beer running art uh, anything will will give you an excuse to go and travel for me with my passion for craft beer um it has become a reason to go to perhaps lesser known places or small towns that have a brewery that is very famous um where you might not possibly consider that city as a destination suddenly it becomes your priority because you want to visit this brewery it's like you know people who go on gastronomic tours and visit michelin-starred restaurants it's uh, it's been a very big reason for my traveling in the last few years
0: it's funny because uh, a couple of episodes back we had uh i had an interview with uh, slava who i met as well a culture fellow who i met in alicante and one of his uh go-to app to meet people and to go out and discover a city was this app called untapped have you heard about this this application this app
2: yes of course i mean if, if you can't really be in the world of craft beer and, and not use it or hate it depending on the kind of people uh, <laughs> that you meet, but uh, I'm a big fan of it. It, it, it has an incredible feature that uh, will show you on a map where there is near you that has craft beer. So you could be stuck in the middle. It, this happened to me a few years ago. I was in the middle of Shanghai. Um, without speaking Chinese, you are stuck in a city of 40 million people and you have no idea where to get a good beer. Um, you open the app, you look at the map, and within 10 minutes, you're in a taxi or walking to, to a fantastic bar. It's, it's an incredible app.
0: So all these travels, uh, where does it come from? Does it does it come from your family? Were your family, your parents, big travelers as well?
2: Yes, I, I think you could say that. On my mother's side, my mother is English, going back hundreds of years, and uh, she had always stayed in uh, in in the UK. But in the nineteen seventies, she decided to get. She picked a job randomly after being in a in a marriage that wasn't very successful. She divorced very quickly. Um, She took a job in Nigeria, in West Africa, teaching at a high school in Nigeria. And there she met in a nightclub. Um, My father, who is from the French part of Switzerland originally, but his mother was Sicilian-Italian, and he was born in Beirut, Lebanon. So he had moved around a lot when he was young, grown up with many different languages, French at home, Arabic in the streets, Italian at school. And uh, when he and my mother met, they fell in love. And uh, I was born in West Africa, in Ghana. And the first five or six years of my life were spent traveling around West Africa. Then we moved to Tunisia. Um, Then we went back to Switzerland to where my father's company was based. Um, And so for me, from from a very early age, um, I lived in different countries. It took me five years before I lived in either of the countries that I'm a national of. Um, And then all my youth, were memories of living in Switzerland, but driving for holidays with the family to Italy, going to France, going to Germany, Um, and growing up in a multilingual background as well. Everybody in the family spoke multiple languages. Gave me a a passion for uh, different cultures, different languages, different countries from a very young age. So it's very much family-based and very much family-linked that I have a passion for, for travel.
0: Wow, fantastic. Yeah, you... For you, traveling is basically
2: the default mode since since the beginning. It, it, it is. I mean, my mother often jokes and says, why at your age? Why don't you own a house? Why aren't you married? Why don't you have children? Why are you spending all your money on traveling? And I look at her and I say, mom, where, where did you meet dad again? And she goes, ah, yes, that's right. In a nightclub in Nigeria. Okay, that's okay. Not a problem. Keep traveling. <laughs> so, uh, so, yes, it's it's in my blood. It's this passion. It's almost become an obsession now. it's It's so addictive that you know you I'm thinking of new trips while I'm already on an existing trip. And uh, um recently, as I mentioned, you said that I, I just come back from Madrid. Um I had just spent a year in Madrid in a very toxic relationship, which I am now no longer in but also in a very physically demanding job working in a bar this is what i want to do so i was managing a craft bar in madrid and and very tired working till 2 3 or 4 in the morning and um, four or five days a week um in a in a stressful environment and so when i left madrid last week one of my first missions um was to come home to a safe place which is my mother's home and and just recharge the batteries absolutely do nothing for a bit sleep well um, not working until three in the morning and and look forward to the next stages and plan the next stages and I remember when I came back last week I was totally burnt out I, I literally just slept for two days and I didn't know how I was feeling fast forward one week now and all I can think of is where the next trip is going to come from I've, I've started booking flights I have know where my next three or four trips and countries are coming from Um, And I'm just excited to have the energy again to concentrate on what drives me the most in life, which is traveling.
0: Fantastic. What will be this new travel? You're going to Japan, right?
2: So, yes, at the end of um, February, I will be traveling to Japan. So my, my plan, my long term plan is to open a bar somewhere in the south of Spain. When we met in Alicante, that was actually a business trip. I was trying to research the area to see what the potential was. Um, I'm looking at other cities like Malaga, um, perhaps Seville. But when I open my bar, I am very conscious that I will probably be tied down to one place, one bar, one mission for a minimum of two to three years. There will be no big trips. There will be no traveling you know, extensively like I've been used to over the last 20 years. So this is almost me saying, okay, I know that I'm going to be Stuck in the same place, doing something that I absolutely want to do, but before I do that, I need to get it out of my system a little bit. So I got a, an entry for the Tokyo Marathon uh, at the beginning of March, which is a very difficult marathon to get into. Um, running is another of my reasons or, or sort of travel excuses to to go around the world, and I will spend two weeks in Japan, and then the plan after that will be to visit. Uh, some of the countries in Southeast Asia that I have not been to yet. Um, I will be going to the Philippines. Um, I'll be going to Laos. Maybe I will try and make it down to um, Papua New Guinea and East Timor, depending on flights and uh, availability. And then really no itinerary, but starting to look at the map of the world, I started to think whether it might be a possibility to come back to Europe overland from Southeast Asia. So going through... um, Thailand, Myanmar, uh, Bangladesh, India, into Pakistan, Afghanistan, maybe Iran, and a few other countries, and this is the problem when you look at the map, you get ideas, you get these crazy decisions to maybe go 40,000 miles overland when a flight would take you home in in six hours, but uh, that's the beauty of travel. I will probably end up doing none of this, because I'll get over there and see another flight that will take me somewhere else. Mm. Um, at a good price the spontaneity is part of the fun when you are long-term traveling
0: so how do you tackle this long-term travel how much do you prepare before end
2: so so the the way i generally look at a trip um I, i have a mix of spontaneous decision making and improvisation um, but also you know, structured research if there are specific places I, I want to go to. If I know that I'm on holiday for one week in northern Norway, um, you know, nor- one week is a very limited amount of time. So I would look at maybe breweries that I want to see, specific sites and have a general idea of what I want to do. If you are traveling long term, more than two, three months in a row, you have the luxury and the liberty of having time, which means you are not quite as pressured into decision-making and committing to flights or bookings for hotels or, or what have you. So the only thing that I have clear is I've got 16 days in Japan. Now, because Japan is going to be a little bit more expensive for the rest. I have like chosen a finite time for my time in Japan. I'm going to three cities that I haven't been to. I'm going to catch up with some couch surfers that I hosted recently in Madrid. And then after that, I have a flight booked to the Philippines um, in the middle of March and that's where the planning stops. Okay. So I have no idea where I will be in the Philippines, I just have a flight to get there. And generally near the time, maybe 10 days before, I'll start looking at accommodation options, maybe couch surfing hosts, but generally I don't go with too much planning until it's closer to the time.
0: Okay. And what drives you to a particular place um, apart being on the map, right? Uh, is it the food, the landscape, the people, the nature? Is there something which really um, drives you to a place? Sometimes
2: uh, it, it's a, it can be a, any number of reasons. Food is a big one for me. I I, I love, you know, from going to a high fine dining three star Michelin restaurant to a little night market in a in a small town uh, in Southeast Asia. Either is fine. Either is exciting. Um, so food is a big driver for me, but um, Mainly, I'm um, at the moment, I've been fortunate to have been traveling for a long time now, for more than 25 years. And, and my great mission is I'm trying to visit countries that I haven't seen to before. Um, this trip is going to be about meandering and navigating my way around to hit specific countries that I haven't been to. Um, in Southeast Asia, that is now the Philippines, that is Laos, um, Uh, Going towards the Pacific, it would be Papua New Guinea, East Timor, maybe even some of the islands of the South Pacific like Nauru, Tuvalu and and Vanuatu. Um, So my priority at the moment is visiting places I haven't been to before.
0: Talking about unknown and new places, let's take the opposite view for a second. Are there places you have already visited but which keep attracting you, which you never tire of visiting and going back to?
2: Yeah, Japan. For me, uh, um, Japan and the U.S. are uh, poles apart in terms of cultures and society, but um, I've always been drawn to big cities. I'm a big city boy. Um, I lived in London for 18 years. For me, Tokyo is um, a a dream city. I've been there six or seven times, both professionally and for for leisure. And I'm so excited to know that in Mm. four weeks' time, I will have another eight days in one of the greatest cities on the planet. And even though I know it very well, you get there, you might have been, you could be in a square that you've been to six times before in Tokyo, and I will still stand there with my mouth dropping at how insane the city is. Um, so yeah, definitely, I, I enjoy going back to places I've been to before. Paris, me. Um, I mean, you as a Frenchman might might laugh at this. I used to be ready for work and never <laughs> yeah. was I happier than when you came out of the Nord. A, because you survived the Nord, that's always a good start, um, and just seeing the incredible boulevards. I mean, P- Paris for me was is one of the greatest cities on earth. When you arrive in a new country and you, you set foot on a new country for the first time, that gives me a buzz and a rush of excitement that, that is just incredible, that I can't describe. But standing in the middle of Tokyo in Shinjuku, or uh, you know, in front of the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, gives me that same buzz because yeah. it's just awe inspiring. There are places in the world I can go back to time and time and time again and never get bored of them. Um, that's 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 the beauty of travel. I mean, if it were like wasabi, um, which is another favorite drug of mine, where I have to have a stronger hit every time for it to have the impact on me, this is why I'm excited about going to Japan in four weeks' time. Um, with Wasabi it has to be stronger all the time otherwise you don't feel the same effect traveling is is different I can go somewhere that I haven't been to for five years and get that same excitement and wow factor that I had the first time
0: for my curiosity you said that the Tokyo Marathon was one of the difficult to enter in why was that?
2: Uh, I don't know if you're familiar maybe with tennis and the fact that there are four major tennis championships in in running there are six main races that are called the majors these are the ones that every runner wants to get into. They are the the races um, where the best runners in the world um, get into um, and compete. And this is this is these these are the creme de la creme of international running. And if you can run all of them, you get given a special medal which is called the six star medal. Um, and not many people have got it in the world. I think it's a few thousand people over the last God knows how many years. And the everybody wants to get into these races. So the only way you can get in is either by being fast enough, being almost Olympic standard runner, or being very lucky in draws. You have a lottery draw where, for London, oh. for example, 1.2 million people enter the draw for 15,000 available places. So it's... And and Tokyo is one of the hardest of them all because you have to be insanely quick to get there um, or insanely quick on your mouse to, to get it through the website. And uh, I was very, very fortunate. I had to refresh, I had to re-enter, I had to solve multiple puzzles in virtually Japanese to get it, but I managed to get into it. And Tokyo for me will be the last one. So I will get my six-star medal in four weeks' time and this will be one of the biggest achievements in, in my life. Congratulations. Yeah, impressive. Th- thank you, but I have to finish the race first. So save the congratulations until until I'm done. True. Okay. I hope I don't
0: uh, jinx it, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, no. But the idea of finishing and getting that medal in Tokyo and then going to a little izakaya and drinking like a, a, a glass of street beer with some yakitori... Skewers, like with some random people next to me with nobody else, is, is going to be amazing.
0: It's amazing, yeah. And are you going to reconnect, uh, reconnect with some people in, in Tokyo?
2: In Tokyo, I've got a couple of friends over there, but they're expats. Um, one is a friend that I lived with in London who now lives in Tokyo. Um, but then I'm going to go to Osaka, which is a city I haven't been to yet in Japan. And recently in Madrid, three months ago, I hosted a Japanese guy um, from Osaka. And he stayed with me for three nights. And then we met again in Qatar in November at the World Cup um, because we were both going and he goes to every World Cup. By the way, football is another reason to go traveling um, up there with beer and running. And uh, he has kindly offered to host me in Osaka and to show me the various street food uh, specialities of his hometown.
0: Since you mentioned hosting, I must say that before the interview, I was reading your couch profile, which is one of the most uh, detailed and um, enthusiastic that I've ever read. And also it contains 538 references, which I I calculated in 15 years, that makes 35 couch offers a year, almost three new couch offers every month, right?
2: Uh, actually, I think I've hosted about 600 people in total um, in terms of... A lot of couch surfers, regrettably, don't leave reference. There are a lot of people that I hosted who didn't go through the what one should do as a surfer, as a host also, is leave a reference for the other person. So I think that in total, I've counted, I think, 600 people that I've hosted over the last 15 years. Um, And there were a couple of years with not many because I was living with a girlfriend or in a situation that didn't allow me to host. I think the year I hosted the most was when I was living in London during the Olympics, and I hosted 110 people in one year. Uh, that was literally like a one-in-one-out every two or three days. It was uh, a lot of fun.
0: What, what does mean couch surfing for you? How how big a place is it in your um, in your experience? Because you're traveling, of course, but you're also meeting a lot of travelers, right?
2: For, for sure. I mean, couch surfing for me, I don't want to over-exaggerate this, but this is the truth, is the single most important thing that I have used, discovered, or been privileged to be a part of in my traveling. I've had great travels before. I've had great travels since and during without couch surfing. But the opportunities that it has given me, the people that I've met, the the fact that you and I are talking together right now is thanks to that platform. Now, obviously, there are other platforms. I'm not saying it's the only thing available there. But I went to Alicante not knowing anybody and to research the the place for potential place to open a bar but i thought what can i do in the evening to make something a bit more interesting i'll just do a couch surfing event in a place that i don't even live what happens you know we meet over there we talk we meet we made a, a met a few other people had a great evening went to get some food had a few beers and you and i three months later are talking about traveling in a podcast that's you know that that's how amazing the community is the community spirit of it is um, and it's wonderful. Like I can't believe that I've been in the community for fifteen years now. It, I think this week is my couch surfing anniversary. and uh, it's it's changed the way I, not it, it's changed the way I was able to travel. Mm-hmm. If you are ex- extroverted and like meeting people as I am, you will always meet people. You can go to a bar and start talking to the person next year, that's, you. that's know, that 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 will always happen. But the community spirit, um, the platform that has enabled groups to make friends, um, the organizational tools that, that the, the community and the website provide um, has changed the way I travel. I wouldn't dream of going somewhere and not opening the app to see if there were any local meetings um, or to see if there were any interesting people. I don't only use I think It's not the be and end all. Um, sometimes I want to sleep in my own place. Sometimes I just want to chill and, and be quiet. But to have that available to you, if you want it, is is amazing. I've been back here in Birmingham for a week now. And on Saturday, I've organized a couch surfing meeting in Birmingham because I'm bored, because I haven't been doing any traveling and I've now rested. Um, and I will be doing a street art and craft beer tour of Birmingham. Um And four people have signed up so far. So it just means that we're going to have a nice group of people on a Saturday afternoon talking about street art and, and drinking good beer. Is there
0: any other websites, apps, social networks that you use when you travel?
2: Um, so I, I, I often use uh, Facebook groups. Um, if I'm going traveling somewhere, if I'm going to uh, a country that I don't know, maybe a month beforehand, I might join a few. Uh, travelers groups or just see what there is, just see what comments are going through it to create, see if there are any ideas or if people are suggesting things. Um, when I was in the US, I spent three months in the US two years ago, um, without, uh, hiring a car as I didn't have any method of transport other than public transport, which in the US is a, a disastrous situation to be in. Um, I joined a number of, uh, carpooling and of, uh, hitchhiking, uh, and car sharing groups on Facebook. And thanks to that, I managed to find a number of rides. I managed to find um, someone with whom to go around a couple of national parks. Mm-hmm. Um, we shared costs. We hired a car together. So, uh, so, so Facebook is something that I've used for that as well. Um, but, no, I'm couch surfing and then social media, whether it be Instagram or Facebook, is what I, what I generally use.
0: Reading your couchsurfing profile, I have to ask you, there are so many interesting things that I want to ask you. You ran a marathon in North Korea, you travelled to Cape Town to Cairo, other land, you did the Trans-Siberian. I mean, we didn't, right? <laughs> you ate 65 kebabs in 36 days. Was this a dare, or...? What was it?
2: So it wasn't a dare. It, is a, it was part of a, a trip that I did around Turkey, researching material to write a book on the history of kebabs. Okay. Um, so I, I think it's only fair for you to know that I consider myself to be in the top five UK kebabologists. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure there are more than five in the country, but uh, I decided to do a trip around Turkey, using couch surfing, but eating two kebabs every single day um, for the entire trip to try and disprove the theory um, based on the quality, terrible quality of kebabs that we have in the UK or in France elsewhere, that it is actually a healthy food, Mm -hmm. um, that it used to be the food that the Ottoman warriors used to go to battle on. Um, and that it's been misappropriated and destroyed by other countries as a late night drunken snack at three in the morning. So I decided to go to Turkey, visited all the major culinary cities that were famous for having specific types of kebab, and spent every single day having a kebab for lunch and a kebab for dinner over those 36 days, uh, minus a couple of days where I had food poisoning that was not from a kebab. Um, but uh, it, it was a, a great adventure. And, If you want to have a good time in a country, understand its culture and the hospitality of the people, try going to Turkey and telling people that you are writing a book on their national dish. The number of doors that were opened for me, people that would carry my bags and put me into their car to drive me to their favorite kebab restaurant, (laughs) people who uh, would stay in their house for free and just wanted me to talk about kebabs to them, the, the, the smiles on their faces, the Turks are very fond of kebab. You should know this, maybe use this when you go travelling over there, but that was one of the greatest experiences that i that I ever had. The book is still being written at the moment, uh-huh. um but it was it was a very and to prove the theory, I ate all those kebabs in thirty six days and came back and lost three kilos on the trip so but that was probably because there was no beer on the trip either. so <laughs> take it as you wish
0: amazing. Also, I read something about you appeared on a
2: Mongolian evening television. If we ever meet again and we're in a group and someone says, you know, what are your fondest travel memories? I usually say, well, I could tell you the story of the funniest day of my life. Not the best, not the most interesting, not the most amazing travel story, but the funniest day of my life was that day in Mongolia when my friend and I were doing the Trans-Siberian and we had gone from Russia down into the Trans-Mongolian and gotten to Ulaanbaatar. Now, I had a travel friend that I used to travel with to faraway places, and we used to organize these crazy trips with very little planning. And we realized that the days that we were going to be in Ulaanbaatar were going to coincide with their national festival, like the uh, 14th of July in France or 4th of July in the U.S. is national celebration in the capital, where the whole country goes from the countryside to the city and celebrates in the stadium their independence 50 years ago from Russia when they became a country. And we had, unfortunately, had two days on the trans-Siberian train with some Russian soldiers that in our, in our cabin, in our wagon, that may have involved some significant consumption of vodka. And so when we arrived, in Ulaanbaatar at 9am we were tired, we hadn't slept very much and we were possibly in between being drunk and hungover in that state where you're not making the best decisions in the world and we decided to go straight to the stadium we found tickets to go and see the national celebration, the parade inside the stadium where they dress as Mongolian warriors like Genghis Khan hundreds of years ago and do a proud display in the stadium of their national heritage and culture and we went into the stadium, got tickets, saw this, at which point my friend said to me, um, look at those beautiful costumes they're wearing. We should buy some. And I looked at him and said, that would be the best idea we could possibly make today. So we left the stadium and wandered around and there were plenty of shops selling national costumes, hats, clothing. So we bought these two full Mongolian traditional outfits, very heavy robes are silky, like silver robes from head to toe, uh, a typical Mongolian pointed hat, a huge belt with a sword, a fake sword. And we decided that it would be an even better idea, not just to buy it, but to put it on. So we left the shop on Mongolian National Day as two foreigners wearing full Mongolian warlord costumes and it became very clear within two seconds that the main attraction that day was not going to be the 30,000 people parading in the stadium, but the two idiot foreigners dressed as Mongolian warlords. Within two seconds of leaving the shop, a hundred people were looking at us. Um, people came over, asked for photos. Uh, foreigners, locals alike, they kept on coming, and saying, well, "You know, what are you doing here?" And we're like, "Well, we're trying to blend in, look, look local, look casual, look normal." Within five minutes of walking back towards the stadium, we had a little tap on our shoulder. And I turned around and there was a woman and a guy and they were in uncontrollable fit of laughter. And the woman was holding a microphone and the guy was holding a camera. And the woman in between laughing said, we are from Mongolian Evening News. Can we please interview you? And uh, we said, certainly. And so she tried to compose herself and the camera mattered as well. And said, first of all, welcome to Mongolia. Why are you here? And we said, we are visiting the country. We're doing the Trans French-Mongolian. We are here on holiday. And she looked at me and said, why are you, wh- what are you doing? What are you wearing? And I said, well, you know, local costume, obviously. And she looked at my friend and said, but, but why are you wearing this? And he looked at her very calmly and said, to blend in. At which point, both of them looked right, looked left. Um, we did the same. noticed that everyone was wearing Abercrombie & Fitch, Levi's, there were Doc Martens. <laughs> everyone was wearing everything apart from Mongolian costume. And so she said, excellent, thank you very much. And we walked away. Two minutes later, another tap on the shoulder, a journalist from a local newspaper. And we went through the same thing again. That day, in the next three hours, we had five newspaper interviews, and we were on two TV channels. And everywhere we went, people would ask us what we were doing. I've never laughed so hard in my life. We got to a stage at lunchtime where my stitches in my stomach, it was hurting me to walk, it was hurting me to talk, um, because it was just ridiculous what was going on. We had, if we'd known, we would never have done that. But uh, we were, we were generally just mobbed by people wherever we went. As we went back towards the, sta- the stadium, there was a group of soldiers, and the commander of the group of soldiers spotted us and came over. And I thought, oh my god, here we go, we're going to be in trouble now for disrespecting the culture. Um, but the look on his face said completely the opposite. He came over and said, "Can I take a photo of you?" And we said, yes. Yeah. So he clicked his fingers, and a squad of 40 Mongolian soldiers came out of nowhere. And there's a photo of me and my friend in this huge group of uh, military fatigue-wearing Mongolian soldiers, all of them with a huge smile on their face, and two idiots in the middle pretending that we were the Mongolian warlords in the middle of it. So it, it was just a very funny day. It was just nonstop laughter. But the, part, the funniest part of it, of appearing on, on television, was, We had a dinner arrangement with some friends that evening that we'd met on the train three days before. And we knew we were going to be in Ulaanbaatar at the same time. So we booked a a table at this nice restaurant for local Mongolian food. And we hadn't taken the costumes off. We still hadn't been to our hotel because we would spent all day celebrating being Mongolian. And uh, we went to the restaurant where we were the first people there out of a table of ten and the same thing happened everyone looked at us the waiters didn't understand what was going on we said we have a res- reservation they're like yeah but why are you dressed like that and said yeah, it's a long story but we're trying to blend in and failing miserably so we got pointed to our table and 10 minutes later our friends arrived that we hadn't seen for four days on the train looked at us shook their heads like of course you're going to be sitting there of course we see you dressed as mongolians and so we sat down had dinner and then a moment appears which was just absolutely hysterical the waiter runs over to us grabs my arm and goes points at the television that's in the restaurant and we appear on television literally everyone is looking confused because that where there we are sitting quietly trying to enjoy our dinner looking like Mongolian worries, but we're on television at the same time and everyone's just like doing this double take of like what the hell is going on who are these guys and the funniest part is as the lady was interviewing us and asking me why we were there and i said to celebrate National Day. And we were being dubbed because it was a Mongolian TV channel. So we were speaking in English, but being dubbed in Mongolian so that the Mongolian people would understand it. So then it came to the question to my friend, and she said, but why are you dressed like this? And my friend said, to blend in, at which point all the Westerners who spoke English in the restaurant erupted with laughter. And then a millisecond later, it was dubbed in Mongolian dono at which point all the Mongolians and all the waiters erupted with laughter as they understood that we were trying to blend into it. It was just one of those moments where you think, we go back to our hotel that day and I say, if I ever laugh in my life as much as I've laughed today, then I'll be a happy man. It was just hysterical from the first to the last minute.
0: You know what's funny about this story also is that now, after all these years though, you still live in the memory of these people And also you live in the archives of the Mongolian National Television, the recording of those interviews.
1: Not a day goes by without my thinking of my prodigal return to Ulaanbaatar when I come off the plane and there are (laughs) hordes of people, 10,000 minimum waiting to to, to see us again in their land. And of course, I'll be wearing the, the full costume again, which we took. We threw out so many clothes from our suitcase so that we could take the costumes back.
0: Oh yeah, I understand because uh, no one on this side of uh, of the Ural has the same costume as
1: you have here. <laughs> exactly, but but you are right. I mean, you know, when I think about past memories or trips like the one that we've just discussed or, or any other, it's nice to think that somewhere on the other side of the world or in different countries, there are people who are also talking. To their friends, oh, do you remember when we went to such and such and we met those foreign guys? That's the beauty of traveling is long after the trip is over, the memories are still there for a very long time.
0: So travels bring people into your life. And I was curious if travels have brought also some skills.
1: For sure. 100%. I mean, it's, it's not a cliche that's, you know, to say traveling opens your mind there is no way that one can have better understanding of the world and how it works its failings and its successes than than by traveling you know if if you sit in your house all day long in the same country or you never visit south america or see the poverty or the beauty of you know floating markets in in thailand you, you do not understand how just how diverse and and big the planet is. So, you know, traveling brings you humanity, humility, because you understand that you are just a small person, a small part of, you know, your own environment and community, but that there are tens of millions of other ones around the world. And I think humility is the biggest teaching that you get from travel. Um, And the biggest joy and privilege is to understand how other people go about their lives. Um, that that's that's the privilege of it, you know. For for all the the funny stories or the culinary adventures, um, just you know, sitting on a on a bus in Africa for twelve hours in the middle of nowhere because that's the only way of getting to the next place, and you sit next to a family going back to see their their own parents in uh, the main capital of the of the country, and they've not seen them for ages, and they live in a small village, and they do this trip twice a year. And you're there with them as they are excited to see people who are their flesh and blood. It's, it's stories like that where you realize that, uh, you know, it's a big planet with 8 billion people on it. And we are all so diverse from different. But, but the privilege of traveling is the everyday encounters with regular human beings who come from such a different background that it reminds you to appreciate just the little things in life seeing your brother after you haven't seen him for three years or, you know, sitting in a bar and, and striking up a conversation with a total stranger. Those are the, the privileges and the, the special things about travel, not just seeing an incredible monument or uh, waterfalls that are jaw-dropping. It's just the little human contacts that, that makes travel and makes me, in any case, understand a little bit more um, uh, how the planet works and doesn't work, how it fails also, you know, when you, when you see absolute poverty in, in a small village wherever on whatever continent and you understand then how lucky you were genuinely to have been born in a privileged background to have the chance to do what you want. And you go and see these people who just from where they were born and who they were born to will not have that, that privilege. And that's the humility that, that you get from traveling.
0: Do you have any tips or tricks for anyone traveling? For example, is there something in your luggage which is always there, which you you cannot do without?
1: So uh, a tip, certainly. One of my biggest problems when traveling is I am a forgetful person and I lose things. Um, I could give you a list that's three pages long of all Uh, electronic equipment that I have lost through the years just by being stupid, not by theft or robbery or just by putting something down somewhere. So my my tip is keep care, keep care of your belongings of the most important things, because it can turn, you know, a a nice day trip to somewhere into a, a bureaucratic nightmare where you have to go to an embassy or buy a new phone or a charger um so just just keep good care of your belongings so i travel very light for me that is the 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 most important part of of traveling is being able to be mobile i always research so at the moment i'm currently planning my trip around asia um, and that involves completely different airlines to the ones that we're used to in europe for the low-cost budget ones and I'm about to buy a different size backpack for the trick because um, Air Asia, for example, has different minimal size uh, requirements to Wizz Air or Ryanair in Europe. So I don't want to be caught spending an extra 30 euros or 40 euros at the gate because I didn't realize that my baggage weighs 10 kilos as you're allowed to on Ryanair, but on Air Asia, you're only allowed 7 kilos. So it's having a little bit of logistical, whilst I don't like to plan too much in advance and to I like to be able to be spontaneous and improvise, um, being aware of maybe uh, different logistical requirements in the parts of the world that you are going to will help you avoid situations that are unnecessary, like being told you have to pay an extra 30 euros at a gate. So I'm currently having a look at the requirements for the different airlines that I think I might be able to use. Um, Be very flexible in your approach. Be very patient, um, which isn't always easy when you're traveling around Africa, for example. Um, You will not get to where you want to go at the time you want to. It's just not going to happen on a continent where you don't book online your bus journeys or your connections. Uh, And so, you know, keep a a smile on your face when you've just found out that you're going to have to spend another seven hours in the middle of nowhere, there's bus depot where the only thing on sale is popcorn and full fat Coke. Um, that's that's what you have to have, unfortunately. So, you know, make the most of every situation. Talk to people around you. Read a book and, and be patient. But the biggest tip that I, that I can give when you are traveling long term on the road is, is be aware that things will not always go as you expected or planned. That is part of the journey and can be transformed into a fun part of the journey even though it's frustrating at the time but uh, um, you know be be patient and uh, prepared to adapt as you're going Excellent advice, indeed.
0: I also wonder do you have any friend or acquaintance that you would like to nominate for this podcast? Is there someone in your mind who embodies as well the quintessential uh, traveling lifestyle and philosophy?
1: Yes, definitely. Uh, and, and unfortunately, and fortunately, the world of couch surfing throws up a number of people. Uh, like you always think, I always think oh, I'm i a really well-traveled person. Then I remember I have two friends who've been to 150 countries, uh, a couple of others that are, you know, lawyers who decide that they don't want to work for six months of the year and go traveling around Africa. So uh, I, ha- I have a, 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 an Irish friend, an old travel partner of mine. We met very randomly in a bar in Slovakia 20 years ago. And uh, every few years we decide, let's go and, uh, and hit a random country together. And uh, uh, she, she's a lawyer from Ireland and has a completely different lifestyle where she goes back. She loves buying handbags and shoes, um, loves the luxuries in life. And then suddenly she'll say, OK, let's go to Zambia, Uganda and Rwanda for four weeks and, uh, and enjoy that part of it. She was recently in Peru during the unrest in South America, trying to find a way of seeing what she wanted to see, Machu Picchu, even though it was all closed. Um, so she's a, she's a great traveler as well. And I, I enjoy traveling with her because we're very different people, um, wanting very different things, but we travel well together.
0: Interesting. What's her name?
1: Her name is Janet. Janet Lynch. She's also a couch surfer. We met randomly through couch surfing. She and I met at two in the morning in a hostel in Albania (laughs) um, when she was coming in by bus. And we'd met on couch surfing saying that we were going to be at that hostel. And we ended up spending four weeks traveling together on that trip. Uh, Have since done Algeria, the Central Asian Stans and a number of different places together. Fantastic. She would give you a very different perspective um, to mine in any case, because she has different priorities um, but is also insatiable if you if you say to her, you know have you ever heard of this random tribe in Papua New Guinea that you think that you've just discovered because you saw this documentary she will say oh yes I was there in 2011 I did their initiation ceremony and uh, wetted the baby's head of the leader in the tribal gathering (laughs) and you're like okay Janet thank you very much for making me feel silly again wherever you go she's been there (laughs) exactly (laughs) which is why I'm very much which is why for me I'm going to go somewhere on this trip that she hasn't been to before and I'll be sending her photos and I know that she'll be in and she'll be at the same time looking at flights on her other mobile to decide when she can go there to go to the same country as well. But uh, that's, that's the beauty of having friends who travel as well is it's competitive. We all want to go to as many places as possible, but we also ask each other for advice and, and you know, for experience and, uh, and, and tips as well. That's, that's the beauty of the traveling community. A, uh, one tip that I would give you or just a community in case you're not aware of it, there is a group on Facebook called EPS which is every passport stamp and as the name would imply it's a community of of, I think 16,000 people um, who want whose objective is to visit all the United Nations countries in the world so 193 plus or minus Taiwan whichever way you want to look at it Um, but it's super helpful because when people go to very far off places or insecure and dodgy places where, whether it's terrorist or civil unrest um, uh, country visit reports are published in the group and they make for incredible reading. I mean, they, they will, you know, there, there was one the other day about a, a visit to Somalia, to Mogadishu, to which hotels have the best security, how you can still go out and, and visit places. Um, that That's a very fun group to be a part of because it's the people who are the most extreme travelers you are likely to find. Um, and yet it's still everybody trying to help each other, um, giving each other really strange uh, information on random crossings between Tajikistan and, uh, and Pakistan in the mountains. It's a, it's a fascinating community and group. Incredible. EPS. All right. EPS. Every passport stamp.
0: Uh, all right, Jean-Marc. Uh...
1: I have a question for you, if that's okay. I'd like to turn the tables at the end of this conversation. What are your next travel plans?
0: My adventure is, if we can call that adventure in Alicante, is uh, coming to an end, I think. It's been one year I'm in Alicante and I want to move. To move out, the job is not going so great. It's not fulfilling really. So I want to. It's now or never. I so right now, I'm feeling going to Valencia for a few months, and after to um, to keep to keep traveling. Basically, I don't want to. What I've been doing for the past uh, ten years is basically I go to a country because I found a job there, and then I stay in the country and so on. So what I would like is just to go to a country and or to go to a new city and experience a life there. So what I'm thinking is either either staying in Europe or pushing to Turkey, passing more times in Turkey. And all the other options is to go to Mexico for uh, six months, one year or something like this.
1: This is an amazing world in which we live nowadays to be able to go, well, I fancy maybe going to Turkey or maybe Mexico, I don't know, to have that opportunity or to be fortunate to be able to say, you know, these are my next moves. That's so exciting. You know, you, you'll make a decision and your life will change over the next 12, 24 months just based on that one decision. Um, that, I, I see that as amazing. You know, some mm-hmm. people might be a bit afraid of that kind of situation, but uh, I think that's absolutely amazing. If you choose Turkey, let me know if you want a good address for a kebab restaurant.
0: Oh, definitely. I would probably not do that during 36 days, but a few times a week no problem.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I hope I hope you I hope you whatever you decide, I hope you have an absolutely fantastic time. And I hope our paths cross, traveling somewhere again. Yeah,
0: I think that like uh, we we'll probably go on hangout on Couchsurfing, and oh look, look
1: who's there. That that happened to me two years ago, last year in Colombia. Uh, a guy that I hosted three times in Madrid. I just sometimes you know it bugs a little bit on on hangout. It shows you like things from different countries or whatever, and I was like. He can't be there. It said it was like less than a mile away from me. And I was like, that's not possible. And I messaged him. And five minutes later, I was meeting somebody that I'd hosted three times the previous year. It's it's amazing. <laughs> it's a very small world. It's, it really is. Yeah.
0: You know what, Jean-Marc? I think that in a couple of months uh, we'll ping you again in order to see if we can have a second interview because I want to hear everything about your adventures in in Asia and congratulate you about your marathon. Possibly, yes. Probably, we'll catch up in uh, in a few months if you if you agree. Of course. This was a pleasure.
1: Well, thanks very much for the podcast. It's um, All it's right. been always interesting to talk about travels and uh, it's been good to catch up with you again and look forward to the next time.
0: Great, me too. Looking forward. And I will share your uh, socials, okay, if you agree, so that people can uh, follow your adventures.
1: Okay, Doki. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Jean-Marc, and have a good evening.
1: You too, Hervé. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining.
0: I'm sure you want to hear more from Jean-Marc after that. Nothing easier. Just go to Instagram and look for the handle the Adventures of GMK. For now, feel free to share, comment, and follow the podcast. And see you soon for the next episode and a new traveler.